0: This, uh, today's message, I'm going to uh, use a couple of uh, introductions to it. The reason for that is that there are a number of things for us to learn from this passage. So much so that I could use several different sermons, messages, to try to convey it. But I know that there is so much material left to cover, not just in Exodus, but to cover in my ministry, and not knowing how much longer the Lord may have me doing this, I doubt that I will come back this way again. And so I want to hit all of these various elements, and I'm going to assign to you homework. Homework. And that homework is all the various topics that I hit upon rather than totally delving into it, I'm going to ask that you do so. Oftentimes when we get to the scriptures they're inspiring things. There are stories in it that inspires us that we wish we could be like those mighty men and women of faith. Sometimes there's stories, narratives that that remind us just how much our feet are made of clay and we're not nearly as good as we think we would like to be. This passage is just downright depressing. But there are things in it that we must learn so that we might avoid. And so, if you have your Bibles, or if not, you can follow along with the Scriptures on the screen. Oh, one more thing that I wanted to say as far as introduction. In this passage, we're going to get an understanding of just who God is. The problem with that is, is that sometimes we have fixed in our minds just who God is, and we have a tendency to to emphasize one aspect of God over another. So, for instance, much in our culture today, we emphasize on what a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus almost becomes, if you will, the boyfriend that you wish you had. Or we concentrate on God being forgiving and merciful and kind and all of those things that he is and Jesus is our friend. But just as there are more aspects to God, I wanted to kind of, just like there are more aspects to you and me. As a pastor, I have that one hat and people who are watching this message through uh, the various social medias that we have or, or online or et cetera, They have one view of me. Those of you who are in our congregation have another view of me. And even within that congregation, those of you who knew me as a child versus those of you who have only known me as pastor have a different view. My wife attends here. I'm her pastor, but she has another, if you might say, unique perspective of who I am. My children have another Perspective of who I am and their, their spouses have a different perspective of who I am. I have five different grandchildren. I suspect even though some of them have quite, if you will, haven't formed an opinion of me yet, each of the five will have a different view of who I am. It's just the nature of the various relationships. And what I want us to take a look at is that we need to see God in all of who he is, not just the parts that we like best. So Exodus chapter 32 says this, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, I'm... I'm, led to understand that the the Hebrew, the way they refer to this man, Moses, is not complimentary. They're, in essence, putting Moses down. But notice a couple of mistakes that they've made. First off, he is the one that God has used to lead them, and they've, in essence, pay no respect to him, because, we don't know what's become of him. Let's move on. But notice that they put the blessing of their deliverance and their redemption on the wrong person. They said, this man Moses who delivered us, we don't know what happened to him. They're wrong. It was God who delivered them. And it is God who parted the Red Sea. And it is God who provided manna. And it is God who provided water. And it is God who sustained them. Moses was simply the person who led them at God's direction. But a lot of times people will use that excuse to not follow God. It's that man Moses. We don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off gold rings which are on your ears of your wives, your sons. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings for which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf or another version translation would say a molten bull. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. They are now not only not acknowledging that it is God who delivered them, they have now given the credit and the praise to one that they've created. They are now worshiping a lie. It would be one thing, and it would be bad enough if they said, well, we thank God he delivered us from Egypt. Praise God, we're now going to follow a different God. But that's not what they do. They turn their worship into a lie. This God that we're making now is the one who delivered us from Egypt. And the problem is, Popular opinion doesn't make it right. The whole nation could have said, this is the God who delivered us, and the whole nation would be wrong. And the disappointing thing here with Aaron is Aaron is a priest. He's a high priest. He should have said, no, this isn't going to happen. It is God who delivered us, and it is God who sustained us and you can kill me, and that's not going to change the facts. Now, I'm not certain he would have made it into Hebrews chapter 11 in the roll call of faith, but it certainly would have been better than what he participated in here. So just because the man of God permits it doesn't make it
1: permittable.
0: Verse 5, Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose up early. Can't be Baptist because nobody goes to church early. And offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Aaron not only Accedes to their request to make a new god. He then presents an altar that they might present offerings and sacrifices to this graven image, which, by the way, is the second violation of the Ten Commandments. First one, you're not to have any other gods. They now got one. You're not to make a graven image. Guess what? They did so. I mean, it's one thing if they would have violated, like, don't honor your father and mother. You can say, well, my dad is a jerk, and so why should I pay attention to him? Okay, we could argue that. God still says you're supposed to honor them, but they can't get off the first two.
1: So in essence,
0: they had a worship service, and then they had a fellowship. But they didn't have the typical fellowship where you just ate. The scriptures are really... Miles here, when it says they rose up to play, they had an orgy. I suspect nowhere
1: in the scriptures will you find that that's an appropriate way to worship God. But they do.
0: So while this is going on, verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once, Notice what God says. For your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Notice God is now saying, okay, I'll agree with them. They're your people. You delivered them. You go down there. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. It's only been a few days. They have made for themselves a molten calf or a bull and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. He's giving giving Moses a blow-by-blow account of what's happening. Why? Because God sees what's happening. He's experiencing what's happening. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Now, first off, I want you to understand that if God did so act, he still would not violate his promise to Abraham. Because Moses is a descendant of Abraham. He's just saying, I'm going to start over, and it's going to take a little longer. The next thing I want you to see is who God is. I have read that some people have said that this God is not the God of the New Testament, and therefore, somehow, this God is different than the God of the New Testament. And the reason why people say that, I suspect, is because, again, they've concentrated on Jesus is my friend, God forgives me. God loves me. What a wonderful friend I have in Jesus. I want you to be very clear. and This is one of the things I want you to look at. This is the God of the New Testament. I want you to turn, and I'm going to uh, trick the uh, people who put the Scriptures. We're going to Romans chapter 5. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been now justified by his blood, we will be saved from The wrath of God through him. You see, just because Jesus died didn't make sin okay with God. He still hates it, it still angers him so much more that he has wrath. That is a significant aspect. I just lost my, just a second.
1: Problem with the way this. One of the days we'll get
0: this fixed. Um, It's still one of the significant aspects of who God is, that he is, but the difference is, is that Jesus became, and here's this 50 cent theological word, became our propitiation. Paul writes about that a few chapters ahead. And I suspect you don't know what that word means because we don't use it all that often especially in a time where I can sin and ask for forgiveness, and I can sin and ask for forgiveness. So much so that now we come to the point where it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission. But propitiation is a public display of atonement to appease an angry person. God, through the sacrifice of Jesus put his wrath on Jesus, that he might spare us from that wrath. But sin is still not okay with God. So this God, who is angry and has wrath for these people because they've turned their back on him, is acting consistently with who he is. He is holy. He is righteous. He is forgiving. He is compassionate. He is all of those things. The scripture that everybody needs and sees even at football games, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. It isn't that Jesus so loved the world that he escaped heaven and came to save us. It is God sent him. The book of Revelation is full of the accounts of the wrath of God. His anger at sin is New Testament
1: and Old Testament. Returning back to Exodus.
0: Verse 9 again, Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Notice that God didn't say, I'm going to do this. He says, leave me alone, that I may do this. So apparently, he's allowing Moses to have an impact on the decision to destroy these people. Because he just doesn't say, I'm killing them. He's saying, leave me alone that I may do this. Verse 11, then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying with an evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. He's becoming a mediator between God and God's people. Moses is acting just as Jesus acted And continues to act on our behalf. For the scriptures tells us that Jesus is our mediator. And for these people, they're lucky to have Moses. Even though they held them with contempt. And he goes on to, he gives them one reason why God shouldn't do it. He's saying, your enemies, the rest of the world, after you've demonstrated who you are and your great power and your great signs, would then say you only did that to kill these people. Now I want you to know how a mighty impact this is. For those who are familiar with the book of Joshua, when they take the land, it's some 40 years after this. The people in the promised land who are going to be the subject of the removal have heard the stories about how God impacted the Egyptians and how the people of God walked through the Red Sea and all of the things that God had done. It's funny, in our world, we would say, well, you know, that's kind of like rumors. You know how rumors spread and they become blown up and exaggerated? These people don't believe that. They, just, they know the power of God seemingly better than the people of God know the power of God. So Moses is saying, you're going to undo what you did by spreading out all of this information to the world. Then he says, remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all this land which I have spoken I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Moses is saying, yes, you can in essence use me and yeah, I'm a descendant. But you made some promises, and all of a sudden, now I will be viewed as the initial point of this generation as opposed to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So because of them, God, don't do this. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. I don't know how often you can get God to change his mind. In this instance, I think there's a clear showing that God was willing to do that because he gave Moses the opportunity to intercede and to mediate for them. But here's my suggestion. If you're ever trying to think that to change God's mind, use Moses' example. Quote God to God. That's the most effective way of winning an argument with God. I suspect you won't be all that successful in quoting because he wrote it. He knew it. Satan tried to quote God to God, but he took it all out of context. Jesus put it back into context. Verse 15, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides, which is interesting In all the movies and all the little displays of showing the two tablets, they always are written on one side. Remember notice that? There's like five commandments on one and five on the other. The scripture tells us that they were written on both sides. The stones were made by God, carved out by God, and written by God on both sides. And they were written on one side and the other. And the tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat. The sound of singing I hear.
1: We're going to now see a change in
0: Moses' attitude in this next verse. Verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Now there are others who have commented that Moses loses his Anger a lot. One time it was inappropriate, and that time will be when God tells him to speak to the rock after he struck it once. And God, I mean, Moses, because of his frustration with these same people, strikes the rock the second time. And because of that anger, because he didn't take God's word seriously, he was prevented from entering the promised land. The difference here, I think Moses is justified in his anger. This is a holy anger. There's a difference from being mad at somebody because they didn't do something right or because they didn't meet your expectation. There's a difference when the people of God openly rebel and sin against him.
1: God was angry
0: when he saw what they were doing. Moses pleaded with them, having not seen what they did. Again, perhaps the people of God were very blessed that Moses hadn't seen it, because maybe if he saw the sin, he would have agreed with God, go ahead and take them out. He breaks the tablets. I don't think that's basically a result of the anger. I think that's a result of their actions. What's the point of having laws written on the tablets if they're not going to follow them? Moses didn't break the law. The people did. And his actions was an action of a testimony against them. He broke them because they broke them. And I think it was a visual sermon, if you will. Didn't require a lot of words simply required you can't even keep the first two. Now, why he grounded up, I know why he got rid of it. One, it violated the scriptures. Two, just need to get rid of this false god, the one that they're worshiping as a lie. And there are possible explanations. And I don't have a good one. Probably the best explanation I can give you is kind of the same reason that parents wash their kids' mouths out with
1: soap You want to
0: act this way? you're going to see what the results are. so anyway, he grinds it up and he makes them to drink it verse twenty one Then Moses said to Aaron. What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Moses doesn't understand. He goes, well, wait a minute. Give me the rationale. What is it that this people did? You know, they, you know, this is, you know, Did they put a sword to your head? Did, did they have information about you that would embarrass you that you needed to act in this way? What justification did you have other than that there are more of them than there was of you? Because after all, you've already seen what God can do. And Aaron said, do not let the anger my Lord burn. You know that the people yourself, they are prone to evil. Oh, he's right. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's, he's right. He's, he's giving thus far an accurate account of what's happened. But again, it's an excuse. It's not a reason. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and voila, out came the calf. Liar. The Scripture just told us, Not only did they melt it down, he carved it, he graved it, he was participating. It was bad enough they did it, but he participated. It wasn't, well, here's the goal, go do your thing. It's he made it. But now he's going, wasn't me. I don't it it just appeared. Pretty
1: good God, it just appeared.
0: Shows you that even after centuries of mankind being on the earth. We still can't tell the truth to God. When Adam ate of the fruit.
1: It's the woman you gave me. It's your fault God. I'm not going to take any responsibility. Aaron. It just appeared. Shazam.
0: Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, you can see who Moses and
1: God views at fault here.
0: Aaron let them get out of control which meant that Aaron could have exercised some control and did not. And again, I suspect, because many people would rather be popular than be with God. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. At least one tribe showed up that tribe which are going to be the Levites and the priests. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from the gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and th- about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, there are more, I would hazard to guess, more than 3,000 people who participated in this sin. So I don't know why just 3,000 people died, and we're going to see that more people are going to suffer the consequence. My speculation, notice, my speculation, is that these 3,000 men were the leaders who encouraged the people to turn against God. And God instructs Moses, and Moses then has the Levites, says it doesn't matter if that man is your brother or your good friend. They're not to escape punishment. Then Moses said, "Dedicate yourselves a day to the Lord, for every man who's been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing on you today." So God, Moses saying, "Now that we have, in essence kind of cleansed house, now is the time for you to dedicate yourselves to the one true God, to stop worshiping the lie." On the next day, Moses said to the people, "You yourselves have committed a great sin." And now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord. Notice, Moses puts the situation right as it should be. He didn't say, you offended me. You despise my leadership. You sinned against me. You sinned against God, and I am going to God to make atonement that we may reestablish our relationship between you and God again. So I'm going up there and find out what it is that I could offer to God to have your sins forgiven. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. Now guess what? Moses isn't telling God anything he didn't know. Moses was told by God what was going on. But Moses acknowledges the sin. They made a God of
1: gold. But now, if you will
0: forgive their sin, God, I'm offering you two things. Forgive them their sins. If not, Please blot me out from your book which you have written. Here is one of the greatest statements of love in the scriptures. Now, some will say, Well, Moses is saying is, kill me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, remove my name, which is written in your book. Revelation tells us about names being written and not written in the book. One other
1: person makes such an offer in the scriptures, and
0: that was Paul. Paul, in his writing, says, If it were possible, I would wish my person accursed if my people, the Jews, would come to God. Both Moses and Paul are saying, My love for my people are such that I'm willing to go to hell for them.
1: Now, I might be willing to die for you. I'm not too sure I love you that much to go to hell for you. But Moses makes that offer.
0: The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. God is saying, I have now changed the rules. Before, I was going to lead you in with my presence, as I have continued to do. I would lead you by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That glory would rest upon the tabernacle, and that's when you were to move or go, I would lead you with my presence. God saying, "Not now, I'm going to send an angel. I want to send a, a, a messenger, and that spiritual guide will lead you,
1: but me no longer.
0: God also says, "I'm going to punish those who were guilty of the sin. Not you. This is where Moses' offer and Jesus' offer is entirely different. Moses makes an offer, but he really can't make atonement. Because Moses is just like you and me. A flawed man.
1: But God sent an atonement. A perfect man the Son of God, to make an atonement for our sin. His wrath upon Jesus. By His stripes, we were made healed. So much so that God placed
0: all of His wrath on Jesus for all the sins you and I have ever committed, and are ever going to commit. You see, Moses' offer would have satisfied, if it would have satisfied God, up until then. But these people, as everybody's acknowledged, are prone to evil. They're prone to blacksliding. They're prone to doing other things, which means within the next 24 hours, they'd probably need another Savior. And I suspect
1: there wouldn't be another Moses found. But Jesus, because of who he is, because of his work, gave that perfect atonement for you and I.
0: So again I say, the God of the Old Testament is still angry at sin. The difference between you and me and them as we look to Jesus, who took on God's full wrath, that we might experience the love and peace of God, to be called the children of God, to walk in his blessings and his presence. So much so, he says, I'm not going to, I don't want to have anything to do, somebody else is going to lead. We have been blessed because the Lord's spirit lives in us. We take him wherever we go. And maybe we go some places we shouldn't go, but we still take him there. And even when we do, Jesus continues to plead, my blood covers
1: that sin.
0: Then the Lord smote the people because what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. So, God punishes those who have participated in worshiping a lie. This is such a sad chapter. The people of God who have seen the power of God walk away so quickly. The leaders of God, the priests of God,
1: abandon courage so quickly because of a popular opinion. But God did not leave us
0: here. And we see in Moses' actions of being the mediator and offering an atonement, we see in reality the mediation and atonement of Christ. So my last request in this message is for us to take a more serious look at sin. To have a different approach rather than, well, God is so merciful, he'll forgive me, and he will.
1: But isn't it better? Isn't the relationship more pure,
0: more holy, If you don't keep repeating the same sin over and 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 over, over, but you say, I understand just what it costs you
1: to forgive me, strengthen me by your Spirit, that I might walk according to your will, that I might follow you more clearly more closely. And
0: that even though Jesus died for my sins, I would rather it kind of stop having to forgive me
1: for all those constant sins. Because even though God loves you and has saved us, He still hates So let us come to worship him. Let us get back to understanding all of who he is. Rather than just our favorite
0: parts. He's a loving and merciful God. And again, he is.